Hello, NAFI members and flight instructors. This is John Niehaus, Director of Program Development for the National Association of Flight Instructors. And as always, I'd like to welcome you to this episode of the NAFI More Right Rudder podcast, podcast for flight instructors on the go. And today I'm very happy because I have a special guest and my guest here is Beth Stanton. Now you may or may not know, um, Beth is the brand new director of publications and editor for the National Association of Flight Instructors. She is the brains behind the magazine and so much of the content that NAFI puts out. And uh, I just want you to get to know her, know a little bit about uh, what she's been up to over the, uh, the last few years and, and maybe know what the direction of some of our publications is going to be moving forward. Um, but a little bit about Beth here. Um, I've got some notes. Let's see. She is, of course, the director of publications. She is a columnist for EAA Sport Aviation. She is the host, and we're going to have to know a little bit, of more, little bit more about this later, the host of Badass Pilot Babes podcast, and uh, um, the she's a competition pilot for uh, aerobatics. Beth, welcome. Thanks, John. Great to be here. Absolutely. So, Beth, let's uh, let's get to know you a little bit. Uh, tell us a little bit about you, and uh, then we'll kind of go from there. <laughs> well, that's a wide ranging question. <laughs> Purposeful. Well, well, uh, I guess. I will start with how I became a pilot. It's actually our, my pilot anniversary or pilot birthday was July 9th. Oh, wow. We're recording this on July 15th. Damn. So it was 11 years that I've been a pilot. So now, thank you. Now, I didn't grow up always wanting to be a pilot. Like aviation and airplanes never even blipped on my radar. It wasn't even a thing. And I woke up one day in like 09, I think it was. And I thought it would be cool to be a helicopter pilot. Hmm. I have no idea where this freaking came from. Like I, I never even thought, I mean, I love flying on big airplanes and going places, but I, I didn't even know there was such a thing. I knew that there were like these little airplanes that flew around, but I didn't, I'd never heard of general aviation, never been in a small airplane. So it was very random. And then I Googled how to become a helicopter pilot. And it said, um, the Google said that it is very hard and very expensive. So get your fixed wing first. So a friend of mine was a pilot and it was actually on Friday the 13th. I went for my very first flight ever in a small airplane and yeah, lucky, lucky 13. <laughs> so then I, um, came back from that flight and I just signed up and I started my flight lessons. So I did it part-time. It took me about a year and, when I passed my check ride, I was still, I, I mean, obviously I did well enough to, you know, become a certificated pilot, but I was very uncomfortable with the ideas of stalls and spins. And this is a very common theme with pilots. Um, you know, you get, you, you get this, you know, there's this mystique about, you know, the base to final turn and you will die if you don't, you know, and P-A-R-E and, and I, and I was just like, oh my God. Um, you know, that, and in case you guys don't remember, that's the checklist for recovering from mm -hmm. an inadvertent spin. Hey, John, what does P-A-R-E stand for? Power, ailerons, rudder, and elevator. Okay. So I thought to myself, what are the chances if I get into an inadvertent spin or inadvertent uh, uncoordinated situation for the very first time in the traffic pattern at 800 feet? 
that I would pull out a memorized checklist, which I had never actually practiced before and have a good outcome. I didn't think that that was a very good, uh, <laughs> it, I, I used to do a lot of whitewater kayaking and I remember how many times like hundreds of times it took me to practice my role, you know, my, you know, your combat role to flip right side up after you flip upside down in a kayak. Mm -hmm. And so I was just applying that thought process to airplanes. And I'm like, yeah, if they had told me in a, in a kayak, it's like lean forward, sweep your arms, flip your hips. Like, yeah. Like what are the chances you would actually pull that off? never having actually done it before. So I, I'm a big believer in muscle memory and practice. So anyway, long story. When I walked out of the airplane back into the FBO where my DPE was signing my certificate, I said to her, where can I get upset recovery training? Ooh. And she said, well, there's this guy up at the air park community where I live named Wayne Handley who does this kind of upset recovery. So I call this guy, Wayne. I had no idea who he was, by the way, Wayne Handley is an air show legend, but I did not know this. <laughs> when I called him and I call him up and I start grilling him about his credentials. Like, Hey Wayne, how many hours do you have? Are you a CFI? Blah, blah, blah. Like the guy is a literally an, a living legend of, of aerobatics. <laughs> so anyway, after I learned this uh i was quite abashed but anyway three weeks after my check ride i'm up with wayne in his extra 300 oh my which gosh. by the way is not the trainer aerobatic aircraft is you guys know so um and it was so much freaking fun i like what i was afraid of was actually the most fun i ever had in my life and i'm like oh my god this is so awesome so then the next the next month i went back and then the month after that, I went back. And then that's when he said, you need to stop spending all your money <laughs> with me and go do something responsible, like go get your instrument rating or something. So of course, what I did was I went and joined the International Aerobatic Club <laughs> because, you know, if I want to do aerobatics, let me hang around the people who are doing aerobatics. So first off, you, I did not even know there was such a thing as competition aerobatics. Like, I'd never been to an air show. I, I didn't, I knew that there were these things where people flew like loop-de-loops and like I heard the term <laughs> barnstormers, but I, I never, I never been to an air show and, and competition or badness. I mean, come on with that. So anyway, um, I inadvertently got sucked into the world of competition aerobatics for the next eight years. So yeah. So, and, and then it's really funny because people are always like, so, okay. So I started in the extra that's like, you know, the Lamborghini, right? Mm -hmm. So then I actually went, uh, my coach had, had a pits as to be. So then I went and, and I, I started flying the pits and then he's like, you really need to learn in the decathlon because like, that's like, that is the trainer aerobatic aircraft. Cause you know, the pits and the extra kind of do stuff for you. Like the pits has a 360 degree per second roll rate. The decathlon has a 90 degree per second roll rate. So it takes like, you know, it's like four seconds. So if you can keep a decathlon, like, you know, precise, like that, it takes some, you know, a lot of muscle to do that. Mm -hmm. So I always used to chuckle that I said, when people would say, what do I fly? And I'm like, oh, well, I transitioned from the extra to the pits to the decathlon. And they would always get a very quizzical look on their face. You did it backwards. <laughs> yeah, it was the other way. So, so anyway, so here I was flying competition aerobatics. 
And by the way, this is pertinent to like why I'm here as Nappy's new director of publications, <laughs> by the way, just in case you're wondering. No, this is great. <laughs> so, um, so I'm an English major. I majored in English and everybody's always made fun of me for, because, you know, do you know that joke? Um, what does an English major say at work? You want fries with that? Oh, gosh. Oh, that. Oh, hurts. you want some aloe to go with that burn? I'm uh, not yeah, an English so... <laughs> major and that hurts. Oof. Yeah. So, um, you know, anyway, so I've always written my whole life. I'm a writer. And, you know, I've written, I've done some travel writing. I've done some, you know, projects. But I never, you know, had a dedicated writing practice. And aviation gave me something to write about and being in this rarefied world of competition aerobatics it is so it's it is like such a random like universe to inhabit like like hardly anybody does it and there's like 400 I think in the United States there's like 400 competition aerobatic pilots I mean there's not a lot but but there's a lot of um there's a lot of passion there and, and a lot of um uh, type A++ personalities and ego and drive and, rah, and passion and all this kind of stuff. So it was quite a trip to kind of like be sort of inhabiting this world. So there, EAA, uh, as you mentioned earlier, one of the divisions of EAA is IAC, which is the International Aerobatic Club. EAA has IAC, it has Vintage Warbirds, um, Experimenter, there's, you know, different um, on umbrella spokes there. I'm mixing my metaphors. Anyway, Sport Aerobatics Magazine, I, I reached out to the then editor of Sport Aerobatics Magazine. And by the way, you guys, this is going to be just pause here because I'm going to be making an ask in a little bit. <laughs> I reached out to him and I said, hey, I'd like to write a column for the magazine. And they're like, okay sure because you know they're always looking for content kind of like how we are here at NAFI looking for content for our magazine so I, I authored this column for five years and it the, the name of the column was brilliance and buffoonery because flying competition aerobatics one second you are brilliant and the next it can be abject buffoonery and you have to kind of figure like how to reconcile that because you know the highs can be very high and the lows can be very low. You know, you can just, you can excel and you could be a, well, I won't say it because this is, this is polite company, but <laughs> it could be a blank show sometimes. So anyway, I started writing this column and actually it was this writing this column that caught the eye of the director of publications at EAA. And he called me up and asked me if I'd be um, interested in writing for them. And so that is kind of how this whole ball got rolling with me in aviation writing. And actually I was also thinking that my first, it's, it's now coming up on seven years, my very first article that I wrote for EAA was the cover issue of the July 2015 sport aviation magazine, uh, Luca Bertosio. He was, uh, he's an Italian aerobatic glider pilot who was making his air show debut at Oshkosh that year. And after Jim and I got on the phone talking and I'm like, well, what could I write about? And what do you want me to write? He just randomly asked as we were getting off the phone, 
hey, do you know Luca Bertosio? And what was so weird, John, is a couple months earlier, I had gone up to Williams Soaring Center in Williams, Arizona. I'm in California. And I had done aerobatic gliders. By the way, you guys, aerobatic gliders is a thing. I didn't know that was a thing either. And I actually met Luca there because when, you know, it's winter and he came to California to train in the winter. So like when Jim, when Jim Busha from EAA asked me if I knew Luca Patosio, like if he'd asked me that like two months earlier, I'd been like, no, what are you talking about? So, so I guess, again, roundabout way is, you know, you kind of put yourself out there, you face your fears, you say yes, you ask for things. Um, and then the ball starts rolling. And this is how I am here now talking with you today. So that's a, I mean, that's a great story. And like you said, writing can be a scary thing, especially in our profession. So, um, you know, it's, it's always refreshing when new faces come in the door and, and offer new perspectives. And, and I'm sure, you know, as an editor better than anybody else that, that sometimes convincing people to share their cool stories can be tough, but it's always sort of rewarding when you finally get that sort of finished piece out there. Well, yes to all of that. So one of, one of the, the first statement I get when I ask somebody, hey, would you consider you know, writing a story or sharing your story? Um, almost 100% the first statement is, oh, I can't write. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's like the first thing people say. And I don't buy that. I don't believe it. Okay, think about it. What is like the number one thing that pilots love to freaking do? They love to sit around and tell stories about flying. Okay, mm-hmm. there's it's called hangar flying, guys. Okay, it's a thing. So writing is just the typed version of hangar flying. It's, so it's like we have our stories. And in aviation in particular, there's tribal knowledge. And we share this tribal knowledge, you know, again, you know, like when I inhabited the world of aerobatics, it's the tribal knowledge is so important because it's such a niche endeavor. You know, you just go one ring out to aviation general, again, tribal knowledge, like look at what we do at NAFI, you know, mentoring each other, you know, telling stories and sharing our experiences that is mentoring. Mm-hmm. What, what, I don't know, look up the definition of mentor. I guess I, I should look this up, but I'm, I'm guessing it would be something of passing along your knowledge to the next generation. Yep. Right? So sharing our stories is so, so important. Um, so when I got my pilot's license, it wasn't like I was 18 or 20 years old going, oh, hey, I'm going to become a pilot and have this be my career. No, I was a woman of a certain age who was an English major who had never been in an airplane before, majored in English because I was afraid of math and science, not good with machines and technology or directions. Like I couldn't read a freaking map. So here, when I got my pilot's license, it was all the things I thought I couldn't do. Like I never did like, and good thing I didn't know what I was in for. Cause I think John, if I knew I wouldn't have started, I will, I full disclosure, I've said this before. So when I got my pilot's license, I was like, holy crap. If I can do this, I can do anything like honest. And so it's, it's been this pivotal turning point in my life when I'm realized if, if there's something that's incredibly difficult, but you do it and you're like, oh my God, like I could do anything. And so I think sharing that story, like 
I've been beating the drum of that story for the last decade. And mainly to, to women's audiences, because I think, as we all know, guys, guys, ha, huh, and gals, 93% of you are guys and 7% of you are gals. That's the, that's the statistics of the ratio of male to female aviators. Um, so it is a male dominated field. And so if you can get that story out, if, I mean, we can, so this is just my personal story and I'm sharing it with you and it, it can help people, you know, our stories can help maybe motivate people or inspire them or galvanize them or, or give them some hope, or you can be a resource of information or anything like that. So I think sharing our stories is so important. And I would say to anybody who claims they're not a writer, I would say, you know, think again, you have, you have information to share and writing is just one way of sharing it. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it's funny. I love these conversations because we can have a lot of different points sort of interwebbed into, into the conversation. And and one of the things that I want to touch on that you said that I really like is just how empowering becoming a pilot can be. Uh, The age old joke about pilots is how do you know if somebody's a pilot? Well, the joke is, is that they'll tell you. Um, So we don't, as a community, don't necessarily suffer in a lot of cases from, from low self-esteem because (laughs) we have accomplished this thing, right? You know, you, you talked about how it made you feel that you could conquer, you know, the, the highest mountain, the tallest tower and the largest obstacle. Um, I've, I've always found that to be the case because it, it is hard. It is difficult. It does take a lot of work, um, you know, and, and it really makes you feel great at the end of it. And, and being able to share that within our own community, especially through NAFI, be able to say that uh, not only does it feel great to having accomplished this yourself, but it feels even better to help other people feel that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's one of the things as a flight instructor myself that, that I really like um, and being able to hear those stories through the NAFI publications and, and what we're doing right now, um, you know, I think is a, is a huge asset to the community. You know, at the end of the day, humans are storytelling creatures. I mean, that's how we get our information to the next generation is by sharing our stories. So they can be, you know, and if you look at NAFI Mentor Magazine or any aviation magazine, you know, it's a mix. It's a mix of how to's, it's um, tips and techniques, it's, it's overcoming adversity, it's you so so the stories can take so many forms Mm -hmm. and so it for people to say um well i I don't i i don't have you know i don't know how to write (laughs) or don't have a story it's like no no you do so so here's here's my ask here's my pitch thank you john for getting this all like set up for me right now (laughs) so so all you navi members who are listening to this podcast right now i invite you to consider thinking about what you are most passionate about because you know everybody has their thing that they're that we're not all experts in everything and and so but we have things that we're passionate about and and you don't even have to be an expert in the thing that you're passionate about you can you can maybe have just scratched the surface of the thing you're passionate about but you still have um value to to share with people so i invite you to consider putting that down on paper, or I shall say, typing it into a Word doc 
and, and sharing it with nappy members. And for those of you who say, oh, Beth, I can't write. This is why God invented editors, people. Okay. So you write what you write and then the editors will polish it into some beautiful perfection. And then we can put it in the magazine for all to share. And I think it's so important. And, and by the way, I've also told people, sometimes it's easier for people to talk. I always say like, put your friggin' iPhone on voice recorder and talk into it, just talk. And then there's voice transcription software and then there's your story. So, so you know, there's like different ways that you can, that you can approach this. Um, so at NAFI, we rely on NAFI members for content for our magazine. And what is so important is that we provide content that is of value and that is compelling and pertinent to NAFI members. And so right now I reach out to my colleagues and friends in the industry and I say, hey, you know, what, tell me, and I don't mean to be like negative about it, but sometimes I'll say like, well, what's your pet peeve? What do you wish people knew? What do, we, what do you wish you knew um, when you were getting started out? How do you, what do you think could be better in the industry? And it's super interesting. I, I, when I reach out to people, I get into like these hour long conversations and I furiously am taking notes. And, um, and then at the end, so if you guys get a call from me, beware that this is coming. And then at the end, I kind of go through my notes and I sort of see what they said. And I'm like, hey, John, would you be willing to consider writing a story about blank? And 100% everyone has said yes. So, so I think that um, if you have something that's like your little pet, uh, I don't want to say pet peeve, but your, your pet um what's the word I'm looking for? Your, your pet passion. Let's say that. Yeah, your pet, pet project. So what your pet project is, your pet passion. Um, how about you share that with us? Because people will be really interested to learn about it. And I think it's cool because I think the core function of NAFI is to be a way of promoting the cool things that our members do and know and, and say, and I think a lot of the NAFI publications are that great way to put that member on the pedestal and say, this person came up with this cool thing. They, they, whether that's an article or a technique or just a, a viewpoint, um, it's a way to highlight the efforts that our members have because NAFI wouldn't be anything without our members doing cool stuff. Um, and so I, I really like how the magazine has been positioned that way and some of the other things that we do. But back to you. So we know a little <laughs> bit more about you, right? But how did you how did you become the director of publication for Nathy? Where did you originally meet our illustrious alumni, David Hipschman, our former editor? Well, you know, Aviation is a, a very small world, as you know, and it's hardly any degrees of separation in any facet of aviation. Then when you get into aviation writing slash journalism slash publications, the circle gets even smaller and tighter. So I originally met David at AirVenture a number of years ago. You know, David was editor of the San Francisco Chronicle, I believe. I mean, like he he's like legit, like, he's legit. He, he's like the, the publisher, like you, you look up like in the dictionary, like, like 
journalism guy that's been doing it his whole life. Like there's a picture of David Hipschman. So um, I was. And I'll I'll stop you real quick for one second. For those that don't know, David Hipschman has been, he was editor. He started back in, and I think, you know, it was it 2011. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's been our editor since 2011. He took over for our editor before him, Greg Laszlo. And and David is, he's kind of this magic man editor. I mean, this guy has done everything. Like you said, he uh, used to work for some major newspapers. He was a police detective for a while. I mean, the, the guy has done a little bit of everything. He was a sailboat captain, um, <laughs> a, a naffy editor, a pilot extraordinaire. I mean, man of many hats. So uh, for those that don't know, David has been steering the, uh, the mentorship for, for quite a while. And uh, you come very, very highly recommended. So I'll let you finish the story. Sorry. Well, no, thank you for, for that. Um, because yeah, David, you know, I, so I've known David now for, oh gosh, like seven or eight years. And we instantly really both liked each other. I just, and you know, you know how it is once you meet somebody in aviation, even if you only see him once a year or, you know, talk to him occasionally on the phone, you just have that bond. And so over the years, David and I have, have kept, you know, just we've become friends and I would call him. And and one of the things kind of to go back to our mentor theme is that David himself is a wonderful mentor Mm -hmm. and he's so willing to help. So over the years, you know, I was getting started in aviation writing. I would call him and I'd say, hey, David, blah, 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 you know, ask him questions or ask him for advice. And he was not only um, not only he made himself readily available with expert advice. He was happy to do it. You know, I just spoke with him actually it was on um, July 1st was the official day that I took over. So I took over as e-mentor editor back in January. And then I officially came on board as director of publications July 1st. And he and I had a conversation on the phone that day. It was like, I said, how does it feel to pass the torch, you know? And, um, he, he, he made a comment in that phone conversation and he says, you know, he said, I really, you know, you kind of like, what, what's, what am I here for? What is the meaning of life? Like, why am I here? And he was, I think I'm here. And I don't know if the word mentor was the word he used, but he's here. He said, I'm here to help people. You know, I'm here to connect people. I'm here to help people. And I'm here to like, and, and I totally hundred percent agree with him. And so it was actually last fall So last October of 2021, um, he was considering retiring. He's been doing this position for 11 years and he and his wife bought a lovely acreage in Maine and, you know, fixing up the cabin and the the land. And he just kind of wanted to retire and move on to the next part of his life. So he brought up to me if I would consider, would be interested in considering this position. And so obviously the answer to that is yes, here I am. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been wonderful. And I'm so grateful for him for, um, connecting me with Nafi and my, I think I started talking with Karen and Paul back in the fall of last year. And from the very beginning, I've just been really impressed with, with the organization, I think. And I wrote this, I wrote an article for the July, August issue of mentor, um, sort of given a little bit about about me and then looking back at NAFI's 55 year legacy since this mm-hmm. year's the 55th anniversary of NAFI. Um, 
I, I was, I had been at David's home. I, I was back. I'm originally from the East coast. So I was visiting family in Connecticut and I knew David and Dory just had, you know, bought a place up in Maine. So I drove up to Maine and like saw their place and hung out with them. And um, that's when he proposed, you know, if I would want to have this position and I, and, and I was familiar with Nappy. I'd actually been to the Nappy breakfast at AirVenture years ago. I met Bob and hung out with those guys. And um, so David sent me home with a stack of mentor magazines. He goes, well, here's, here's a bunch of magazines. And so I, the whole flight home, I sat there and read, you know, article after article after article in mentor magazine. And that's when I'm like, huh, I'm really impressed with these guys. These guys are legit. They are passionate. They're professional. They, they have their heads screwed on straight. And um, so, yeah. It, and to, so to be honest with you, looking at mentor magazine sort of like solidified, like, hmm, that I, I would, I would be honored and to be affiliated with, with these folks. And um, I was talking, I was talking with Ken Hoffman. I interviewed Ken. Ken was one of the founding members of, of NAFI. Oh, so when, when I wrote this, when I wrote this article for, for Mentor Magazine and speaking with Ken, um, you know, just when, when he and, and Jack Eggspuler, you know, back in, in the, or it was actually the early 60s, kind of when they came up with the idea, it didn't actually happen until 1967. But, um, you know, having this professional organization of flight instructors um, to have sort of that badge of like accreditation or having like a, like the AMA, you know, the American Medical Association, you can say, I'm a member of the AMA. Like it gives you some cred. It's mm -hmm. like legit. And, you know, Ken said in the beginning, we didn't really have much to offer except for the, the sort of accreditation. He goes, but, you know, over the last five plus decades, obviously like this podcast is, is one of the features of, of education and enlightenment <laughs> that we can offer to NAFI members. And uh, Ken even said, he said, you know, he says, I've said this for years. I think Mentor Magazine is the best brochure for NAFI. He goes, because it lays out what the organization is about. You know, it has, um, and, and I thought to myself, yeah, he's right. Because when I sat there and read those mentor, that stack of mentor magazines on the plane on the way back, he's 100% correct. Just reading that magazine gave me an idea of what this organization is about. It spoke to the, the passion that is behind the membership and behind the officers and the board. And um, I'm just really happy to be here. I will say, and in full disclosure, everybody, I am not a flight instructor yet, but I have had lots of flight instructors, <laughs> 12 to be exact, <laughs> through lots of different training I've done. Um, but one of the things I'm most actually, I will say shocked at, so I'm just going to put this out here to the world because maybe somebody wants to write about this. After you get your CFI rating, you just get thrown out into the world and be like, hey guys, go be a flight instructor now. And it seems like a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, what do I do? So I think that that's a very interesting dynamic that that is kind of what happens. Um, so many new flight instructors tell me that, you know, they kind of have to figure it out as they go. So this is the importance of, of mentoring and passing along that tribal knowledge to, to kind of, because, you know, when we all first start doing something, you know, that saying, fake it till you make it, you know, we've all heard that. Now, granted, that's in air quotes, because obviously, if you're a flight instructor, you can't fake it, you need to know what you're doing. But there's always that beginning, and you were talking about confidence earlier, and I want to kind of come back to that. You were saying something about pilots don't seem to lack too much confidence. And you are correct. And 
even the most confident person can have areas where they feel less than. Yeah. Maybe it's like, I'm not a good writer <laughs> or um, I don't know what I'm doing with this student. Um, so it, it's, as accomplished as we all are and as, and as confident as we all are, we all have our, our weak spots. We all have our blind spots. And this is where it's so important that we can put our egos to the side and we can ask for help. And we can say, hey, I don't know how to do this. Can somebody please help me? Like, that is so important. Like, I've spent a lot of my life being like, oh, I got it all. I got everything. I don't need help. I got this, you know, trying to like be all like, yeah, no, I don't do that anymore. Now, now I am so humble. I'm just like, I don't know how to do any of this. Please help me. Please, please, please. Like when I launched my podcast last August, I had no freaking clue how to do, by the way, getting my pilot's license. I think I always said that was the hardest thing I'd ever done in my life. Launching that podcast, I think is almost equal to that because I didn't know how to use the software to edit thing. It was a huge learning curve. Oh yeah. So, so, um, I think being humble and asking for help because you know what you guys, people will fall all over themselves to help you. If, if, if you ask from a genuine place, people want to freaking help you like they do. And, um, so just make yourself vulnerable, like make yourself humble, say, Hey, I don't know how to do this. How did you do this? Can you help me? And so that is what Nafi and, and the mentoring mentality behind Nafi is, is what it's all about. And yeah, we can all kind of want to look, you know, like we know it all, <laughs> but you know, we don't. And so it, it's okay to ask for help. Yeah, absolutely. And and I'm glad you mentioned this podcast because I, I definitely want to circle back to this. So the Badass Pilot Babes podcast. Oh, there it is. Okay. Product placement. <laughs> so wh where did this podcast come from? What's it about? And, and where do people find it? Okay. Well, this is kind of a funny story because I, as an innovation columnist for EAA, for the last seven years, once a month, so do the math, 72-ish <laughs> columns that I've written um, about innovative aerospace technology. And I thought, oh man, it would be really cool to start an aerospace innovation podcast because I've been talking to all these guys for the last seven years. I could like twist their arm and make them be on my show. And then I thought, well, you know, I also know a lot of really amazing female pilots that also do really cool things. It's very inspiring. So I thought, well, maybe I'll have a leg of my aerospace innovation column be like cool women pilots. And in, uh, I had you know, I ran this idea by a bunch of people. And the, the conclusion was, is these are really two different podcasts. Like I couldn't make one be a leg under the other. So a friend of mine advised, he goes, well, I, this is two separate podcasts. Go with the one that has more juice. And the one that had more juice was the female aviation podcast one. Plus I thought it would be a little bit easier just because, you know, uh, it's because I'm a female pilot. <laughs> so anyway, um, but then I had to come up with a title. And so like, I was like workshopping with like a bunch of my writer friends and I'm like, what is the title? And of course, like anything, you guys, when you have like the title to something, you're like, well, of course that's a title. How could it have been anything but that? 
it took it took like months of iteration before I came up with this title. So anyway, so here I took it out of I took it so badass pilot babes podcast. Love it. And it's pretty much found on any uh, podcast app you could find it, or just type in you know, badass pilot babes podcast. And so what it does is this podcast it features the work and play of female aviators because there's so many facets. To, to aviation as we all know that. So I have had uh, women on the show that are racers at Reno, that are corporate jet jocks, that are aerobatic pilots, that fly backcountry flying, um, that are innovators and aerospace company owners, that are AMPs, um, that have built airplanes. So pretty much any facet of aviation you know, I actually recently um, interviewed Bev Weintraub, who wrote a book about the first female naval aviators. Aviators. So I've had authors, pilots, um, just running the whole spectrum. So um, I will say that the podcast has been on a hiatus since around the time that I started my nephew work, because you know that that learning curve was there. So I'm actually getting ready to sort of rev the podcast back up again. I have three interviews in the can that I'm editing and uh, I'm going to launch Bev's. Okay. So since I'm saying this now, I have to do it. Um, Bev's Bev Weintraub's we're going to, I'm going to drop that episode while we're at Oshkosh and we're going to do like a, an Instagram and Facebook live sort of announcing dropping of that podcast episode. Oh, awesome. So, um, so it's exciting. You know, there's always so many balls in the air and sometimes, you know, I call them, um, glass balls and rubber balls and you can let the rubber balls bounce and you got to keep the glass balls in the air. But then sometimes those rubber balls turn into glass balls. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so I feel like um, I, I've been able to let the podcast bounce for, for, for a bit since I learned how to, you know, become director of publications and editor of NAFI. And now I'm ready to kind of pick up that ball and start bouncing it again. That's cool. That's really cool. And <clears throat> when it is sort of running full steam, how often do you normally release episodes? Uh, two, two episodes a month. Excellent. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. Um, Beth, as we start to sort of wind this down, um, do you have any sort of messages for members, anything you want to say to them moving forward in terms of, um, you know, the direction of the magazine or the content, any cool spin you plan to put on things? Well, actually, I do have a couple of cool things that there are still embargoed at the moment. So they're going to be, I have some interesting, fun, awesome ideas that are going to become features in upcoming NAFI publications. Okay. So, but I'm going to, I'm going to keep that on the down low for now. Um, but what I would like to say is, as I said earlier, is NAFI publications depends on NAFI members to contribute their tribal knowledge and their information. So we are always looking for that type of information. So you can always reach out to me directly at bstanton at nafinet.org. Just shoot me an email. Um, I may be hunting you down. So if you see my email coming through, <laughs> you, you may know what that's about. But um, I, I think at the end of the day, it's just... It's, it's really rewarding. And I will tell you guys this. I don't, I don't pretend that writing is not without effort. <laughs> 
it is, and it can be challenging. And we talked about that whole confidence thing. And there's nothing like telling somebody, Hey, would you like to write something that like <clears throat> deer in the headlights? Like, Oh my God, I'm going to be like exposed. I actually just had a very accomplished pilot in, in person, write uh, an article for, Na for Nappy. And when it was submitted, there was some derogatory, like, Oh, I hope this didn't suck too much. You know what I mean? So I, I, I understand that that impulse is like, we're afraid to put ourselves out there. You know what I mean? It's like, oh my God, people are going to see. But I would encourage you to, to you're very, very brave people, NAFI members, you can do this. <laughs> and uh, I think um, I'm open to suggestions. So, you know, we have NAFI publications to serve you, the NAFI members. So 100% open to feedback, to comments, to ideas, you know, I'm not just sitting here in an ivory tower, just like decreeing stuff, you know, tell me what, what you want to hear. Tell me when something really lands with you, please. What I would like to do is I would like to encourage a two-way dialogue because when you get back to me, I'm going to, you know, when you get to me, I'm going to get back to you. So tell me what you like. Tell me what could be shifted. Tell me what you think could be better. Um, I am hundred percent open to that. And you know, John and I were having a, a brief conversation before we re started recording this. And we talked about how, you know, evolution is an incremental process. You know, you don't just, you don't look at some famous successful person. They didn't get there overnight. It took, it took years, if not decades for people to get to where they are. So we're always looking to improve. We, we are not like, you know, we don't want to stagnate. You know, if, if you're not improving, you're stagnating. So, you know, give me your ideas and, and share them. You have, I have an open door policy, open email policy. I look forward to meeting many of you at AirVenture and feel free to bend my ear uh, on topics that you feel is important to you. And we will do everything we can here at NAFI to uh, help you get your ideas and your information out to NAFI members. Are we gonna talk about the, the mentor issue? <laughs> Only if you want to. <laughs> We can talk about it. Well, we sent out an email. It's not like everybody doesn't know. <laughs> so, so what she's referring to, folks, you is guys all know. Yeah, <laughs> if you don't know, um, Beth had uh, a little bit of a of a snafu on the on the first issue, although admittedly wasn't anything that had to do with you, right? Um, it it uh, and and. <laughs> I had I had the unfortunate uh, role of delivering the news to which I believe I was hung up on at least twice. <laughs> I hope I did it softly. Um, I, was, I was too busy calling the printer. <laughs> Beth, why don't you tell the story of what happened? Well, so yes, thank you, John. So last Thursday morning, a week and a day ago, it's indelibly printed in my brain. <laughs> I got I got a phone call from John who was like oh, hey, Beth, let's set up the interview for our podcast and la, 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 la. And then like 10 minutes into the conversation, he's like, oh, you know, I noticed I got my box of mentor magazines the other day. So, okay, you guys, the July, August issue was my inaugural issue that I soloed. You know, David was watching over my shoulder, but it was the issue that I produced. It was, I, I was so excited about it. It was so awesome. And I just was like, so happy. And he told me that, um, he, he, that the pages were printed out of order. <laughs> and so I, I first was in shock, you know, the stages of grief, <laughs> I'm like what? No. <laughs> and so, um, 
we FaceTimed, I'm still like in my pajamas and like drinking my coffee. And I'm like, my hair's everywhere. And John's like, here, look. And I'm like, ah. And so that's when I hung up on him and called the printer. <laughs> and um, yeah, so basically there was a, there was a snafu uh, on the printer's end where the, the pages got for lack of a better term, kerfuffled. And um, they were horrified. This is a very um, respected and industry leading printer. And it, it was just simple human error. Nothing like this has ever happened before at, um, it, it this, at this organization. So they immediately said, we're gonna make it right. So they have actually, as of this morning, so a week and a day later, um, they have been reprinted, they're in binding and they will start mailing out next week. So, which is the week before AirVenture. So who knows, maybe by the time you guys watch this podcast, you'll already have your, your in order uh, edition of the July, August issue of Naffy Mentor Magazine. However, that collector's edition, <laughs> which fails ah. <got> out, <laughs> um, the first one, I, is available for autograph. So if you bring it by AirVenture, um, I'll, I can sign it for you. So it was, it's actually, it was a really interesting um, situation, John, because of course, as, as you can imagine, you know, here's my first issue and I wanna knock it out of the park and I wanna like put a good impression out there. And then this happened and it was just like, oh my God. So, you know, it was a really good, interesting experience of like, how do I, you know, how do you just, you make it right? You know, you, you reach out. So I think like the, it, this actually, this whole experience actually kind of turned out like bank error in your favor <laughs> because now people really know about me <laughs> and you know what I mean? And just sort of like being able to, you know, here's, you know, as pilots in command, we are responsible for, you know, aviate, navigate, communicate like these are these are the things we do so you know when, when something happens it goes sideways when you're in a flight what do you do you focus you figure out the solution to the problem and you expedite that solution and so I just applied those you, know, you talk about life lessons you learn being a pilot well they could apply to lots of different areas of life so I figured out okay this is what happened what do we need to do to fix this and just be very methodical about it and uh, communicate you know we communicated to the nephew members the very mm. um I think it was later that afternoon actually Thursday it's afternoon. very fast we, we sent out an email to the membership so within like eight hours of fine you, you you told me at 8 a.m the email went out at 4 p.m so within eight hours it was like we figured out what happened we had a solution to the problem and we let people know what happened and you know, at the end of the day, did I wish it didn't happen? Well, yeah, but I don't know. You know, at the end of the day, now we have a collector's item that, you know, might be worth something someday. So, you know, like that, that inverted Jenny stamp that was, it was printed in 19, um, 1918, that, that stamp had a Jenny aircraft printed inverted. That freaking stamp is worth half a million dollars. So, you know, you just, you never know this collector's <laughs> edition mentor. So I, I guess, um, you just make lemonade out of the lemons. You know, it's, it's funny. Cause you can, you can learn a lot about people through adversity, right? That's what the old saying goes. And I, I don't think um, there was a moment there where, you know, what am I trying to say? I, I think you handled it perfectly. And if for anybody who is wondering about like, 
oh, you know, we're still getting to know Beth. You know, I wonder what she's going to do. I wonder how she's going to be. And then just boom. Wow. This happens. <laughs> and and you nailed it. I mean, your your message to the membership was was serious. It was earnest. And then, of course, you put in the end the whole, uh, you know, it's a collector's item thing. And frankly, I have a box of 30 of them. So um, make sure you bring a couple Sharpies because I will also be at AirVenture um, and I'll bring them with me. Um, but, uh, um, you know, you, you handled it with grace. And um, I, I think it uh, it turned out as as well as it could have. And, and now we've got an interesting story, which is what we've been talking about this entire podcast. Yeah. And thank you so much for, for saying that, John. I appreciate that. And, and yeah, you know, it's, it's sort of like travel, travel writing. It's, it's like the, I got on my plane, got to my place, had a great time, came home. Like that doesn't make the interesting stories. Sometimes it's not like we wish adversity on ourselves or others, but, but like we learn from other people's experiences. So like somebody has a, a hardship or a difficulty and they tell their story of how they overcame it. And, and, you know, who knows, maybe at some point, if you find yourself in a difficult situation, you can sort of fall back on that is, is a little bit of um, support. So um, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, with that, Beth, I appreciate your time today. Thanks for sharing your story. Thanks for, for joining the team. Um, we have such an amazing team here and, and uh, you're fitting in amazingly. And I'm excited to see where, where all of this goes and, and we'll do it all together with, with us and, and with the NAFI members themselves. Um, as I mentioned, I will also be at AirVenture this year. Uh, so for those that are listening to this, stop by the NAFI tent either Wednesday or Thursday. Um, I'd love to, uh, to say hi and, and have a quick chat. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please do. You can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Make sure you hit the little subscribe button. And also, if you're watching the video, do the same thing on YouTube. It helps us out. We really uh, appreciate that. Um, and uh, once again, thanks for joining us.